once the most powerful band of outlaws in history. But times have changed, and the notorious Kelly Gang has been reduced to just one man. off the rich, helping out the poor. This is the Kelly Gang, and I'd like to make a deposit. Now, one man is out to get him. Exactly. And Ned Kelly's world is about to be turned upside down. Ah! To save his wilderness home, he must go where no Kelly has ever gone before. Ned, baby! Wait a minute. You're a bloke. You don't reckon he's turned kinky, do you? Oh! Corn flakes. Corn flakes. The incredible untold story of the greatest outlaw of all time. To make an epic like this, You've got to be serious. What? Yahoo Serious is... Fred Kelly. Gene Kelly. Grace Kelly. Reckless Kelly. Hello there, and welcome to episode 24 of the Footstray Film Central podcast. My name is David, as always, and with me as always, my good friend Daniel. Daniel, Hello. Hello, David. Let's get back into our somewhat comfort zone of the early 90s and late 80s. I think we've resided there a little bit over the last uh, 24 episodes, so good to be back there in some ways. It's, you know what, I, li- I like it there. I like it. It's so much better than 2023. I, I like it there. It's my happy place. <laughs> it does, yeah. It is a little bit more comforting for, uh, for obvious reasons. I know. It's, it's kind of weird. We're getting all warm and fuzzy, but we are talking about reckless telly, so let's mm. not get too far ahead of ourselves. It's, yep. Um, yep. You know, it, it, it is funny uh, reading up on this episode. It might be a bit of a true crime podcast because everywhere I'm reading about Yahoo Serious, there was always that one comment just saying, hey, where is Yahoo Serious? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I know. Do we need to put wanted signs out or something? Like, where, where, where is Yahoo? Yeah, he has made the news, unfortunately, a little bit more in the last few years with, uh, with some, you know, not great things for him personally. But for, for years, he was very much a man of mystery, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, straight up, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. And for mm-hmm. me, this is easily the worst film I think we've covered on the podcast, uh, so far. And in this episode, look, I'll talk up all the reasons why I feel this way. But for the start of the episode, I really just actually want to say a couple of nice things about Yahoo Serious. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's totally responsible for this movie. There's no way around yeah. it. But I know you like you know, you know what Yahoo Serious hasn't done, and that's yeah. Besides, have a hit movie since you know Bob Hawke was prime minister. <laughs> but during during all of these years that he hasn't made any contribution to pop culture, yeah, Yahoo Serious. He's kept a quiet, dignified distance yeah, from the public he's eye. His, he's kept his mouth shut. He has. He has. Like there's, there's, And there is no way over these past 20, 25 years, there is no way that every other reality show producer, there's no way they haven't contacted him to appear on, you know, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, yeah. or a celebrity, big brother, or whatever. And yeah. 
He's not bending over backwards as a social media figure. I don't even think he's actually on social media. So, you know, like he's not he's not leveraged his celebrity into some kind of humiliating but quick buck. So actually, I think you might have been sort of referring to this earlier, and I mentioned on the previous episode that it was reported that he was experiencing financial, you know, hardship in some kind of yeah. way, but he's still not cashing in his chips. So, no. and I, I realize this is a very Gen X thing to to be complimenting someone on, you know, he's, he's not selling out, man. But yeah. I say this with every ounce of sincerity, good for him. Like, I, I really yeah. respect that. Good for him. Yeah, and it does maintain whatever his fun is, you know, whatever his problems are, he yeah, he hasn't gone down that road and it is a it's, it's frankly kind of dignified. It is. There's a there is a quiet yeah. dignity to Yahoo serious. Yeah. So so I've got some pretty strong feelings about this movie, but I wanted to say that yeah. straight at the start of the episode. Nothing but yeah. respect for Yahoo serious, good on him. Like he's a good man. Yeah. I think um Probably the other thing that we can start with that is a bit of a positive is this made money in Australia. It, um, it did. It did, actually. It made five and a half million bucks in 19... $93. Not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. I, I, I don't want to put a little bit of cold water on that, but uh, it did cost close to $20 million. So, it did. Yeah, a little bit good, a little bit bad. Yeah. Well, what are you going to yeah. do? What are you going to do? Yeah. Where do we where do we start with Reckless Cage? I guess I guess for me, I should start with why I picked this, which is that it is your choice. It is your choice. Um, I had not seen this since I would have seen it in movies. I'd say I had no memory, like zero memory of this movie, uh, zero. But I had quite fond memories as a as a youngster of Young Einstein and of the sort of energy and fun that that movie entailed at the time. And it, it still does have that energy. I rewatched quite a bit of it for this. And Young Einstein is a significantly more successful movie, narratively just as goofy, but it, it's it's energy and it what makes it fun is still in its infancy and it, it still has a real raw appeal that, that Reckless Kelly just unfortunately grinds into the ground. Like it just it grinds it into dust. Anything good about Young Einstein is just beaten into a pulp by Reckless <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> I, I think that uh, the thing with Young Einstein is – I and I've not seen Young Einstein for many, many years, uh, probably around 30 years, but Young Einstein seemed to be a bit of an idea that they had enough time to to think about it, to refine it, to build it up a bit. Whereas this one, I mean, this is the ultimate sophomore slump, right? So yeah. he's had great success. He gets given a bunch of money and the question is, now what? And I, I guess there's proof that lightning just can't strike twice. Yeah, I mean, it's sad. It's just, it's just that I think Young, young Einstein has a lightness and it has a fleet of it's a bit more well, irreverence. There's an irreverence. And it's a bit more fleet of foot and it doesn't there's no any and because of the budget and because of probably how quickly they had to make it, nothing's dwelled on, nothing's too overly uh filmed or it doesn't have that plotting pace. So yeah, they're definitely a much more fleet of foot. So that's why I chose it, is that I had memories and like it was a genuine phenomenon in Australia and in and in small parts of America, mainly, you know, it was due to his name, but the the film did fairly well and was not horribly received anywhere. So I really wanted to see, okay, what happened with Reckless Kelly? Was is it as bad as people let's, say, and let, let's yeah. let's pitch at the stab. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't know at the time. I'll be honest that it was such both its reputation and its actual watchability was as sort of all over all over the place <laughs> as it as it truly ended up being. You read interviews with Sirius from around the time of this film's release, 
And he comes across as a, a thoughtful, somewhat film literate kind of a guy, someone who recognises, you know, peculiarities in cultural figures, uh, recognises peculiarities in the culture itself, and speaks quite well about them. But what he can express in an interview and the execution of those ideas into a, a watchable movie, mm. I think he's just proven there's a pretty pretty wide gulf there. Yeah, so um, but, like, uh, as you say, the authorship of this movie as sort of, you know, writer-producer star is, is entirely his. It came about, like, the other thing that I noticed, David, is probably that this movie feels, it doesn't feel like a product of 93 or its surrounds. It feels much more of a product of slightly earlier. Um, some of the film, the way it looks, I guess, and the way it's filmed, you could, you can definitely place in the mid nineties. Uh, you could, it has actually has a lot in common with a couple of other big production standardized movies in Australia. Welcome to Whoop Whoop comes to mind because of the standardization. The Flintstones, bizarrely, comes to mind because of how much, how much actual place, like feeling of place there is in the pub and how proud they are of that set and how much they want to show it off, which is, which is a, which is a hallmark of the Flintstones in that era as well. I don't know about you. I thought this film actually looked kind of ugly. Yeah. But bar the, the opening shot, I thought the film, it looked flat. It looked kind of cheap. And the production design. So that's Glen Rowan Hotel set yeah. that I guess you're referring to. Yeah. So uh, Dowdy inspired. Yeah. Now, I think I've got a quote here from Yahoo Sirius saying that he wanted the building to look like it was unearthed out of the ground. That's great. And that's an interesting influence that he's drawn from. I, it looks pretty ugly. I, I think it looks kind of shit. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's it's not the... I will say, too, I, I mentioned before about uh, some of the uh, some of the thoughtfulness that Yahoo Sirius has brought up in some of his interviews. Maybe there's a little bit of self-delusion creeping in there as well. I, I pulled this quote that I just wanted to share with you. So this is from Yahoo, of course. I would describe my work as a collision between a Roadrunner cartoon and Lawrence of Arabia, which is where the impossible events of cartoons are happening in real life on a big scale and to real people. I, I, I think I did read that quote at some point too, and the only allusions to Doc Lawrence of Arabia are them just straight up ripping off that shot when he's riding the motorcycle through the desert and... That is the start and end of anything that you can make a comparison between those two movies. <laughs> I'm and glad I, he clarified that it was a Roadrunner cartoon influence because, I mean, in my yeah. mind, I was going straight to Miyazaki, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we start. I know I know you, you normally sort of drive this, so I think we should start with like maybe the director in the cast. So he had come off Young Einstein, and had spent quite a bit of time um, and had secured pretty strong funding for this movie and had spent a bit of time preparing it. Uh, but I think you can, interestingly enough, you can probably see in the cast and the settings that although we had some money, there wasn't exactly a lot of, I guess the word is pull. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of oomph behind it from Warner Brothers at this time. I, I think was, they, I think they lost faith in him pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Should we, well, should we have a little bit of a chat about the Yahoo Sirius himself? Just a, yeah. So Yahoo Sirius, real name Greg Peed. So prior to film stardom, he was a painter. And he was a documentary filmmaker. So in 1977, he and his collaborator, David Roach, who has worked on all of his films, hmm. uh, made the documentary Coal Town. Have you ever heard of that? I have, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I've never seen it, but I've definitely heard well, of well, it. Well, yeah. no, no one's seen it, I think. He, so Coal Town, yeah. it's about a documentary about Yahoo Sirius' hometown of Newcastle. 
And I think the movie exists pretty much as footnotes in interviews. I, I could not find a trace of any footage of it online at all. I was looking pretty hard for that. He and Roach spent seven years writing and putting together Young Einstein, which, as we said, a huge international hit. Despite, though, what you remember, it was a hit pretty much everywhere except in the United States. And interestingly, one of the stipulations that Sirius put to Young Einstein investors was that in order for him to have total control, total creative control of that film, in return, he would forego his share of any profits that the film made. So in retrospect, I mean, it's a decision similar to Homer selling his pumpkin futures after Halloween. Um, <laughs> pro- probably not the brightest thing ever, but 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 fascinating all, all the same. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I guess in some ways kind of a mixed bag of a decision considering that there wasn't any profits to be had. So as <laughs> he probably got to do what he wanted um, yeah, and, well- and the down. The downside for him was a lot less. Well, well, young young Einstein, uh, eighty million dollars worldwide. That film. Oh, made. sorry, young Einstein. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the interesting thing about young Einstein is that Warner Brothers that that bought young Einstein. I think they were convinced that young Einstein was going to be the next Crocodile Dundee. Mm. So I can only guess that Warner Brothers and Village Roadshow. They must have already agreed to financing Reckless Kelly before young Einstein bombed in its American release. I think they must have given him the green light. They must have rushed into it. There must have been some kind of some kind of belief that got a little bit out of control in yeah. what Yahoo series could produce. But it, interestingly, in that time, in that little period between Young Einstein and Reckless Kelly, did you know that, that Yahoo series had an MTV show? Yes, yes. I, I've never seen it, but I, I had read that. I, yeah. I, I posted some on the Facebook page, actually, mm. if anyone is interested. So the Yahoo series show of which I think there's about two minutes that exists on YouTube. And it's mm-hmm. a little bit of a laugh. But yeah, after Reckless Kelly, one more movie, Mr. Accident in 2000, and that was it. Yeah. So I don't know if you've seen, you haven't seen Mr. Accident? No. No, I've never seen it. Have you? No, I haven't. I haven't. Um, no. Well, actually, I say that. So the, the, the reviews had always put me off. And the knives seemed to be out for Mr. Accident from minute one. Sort of very, very low IMDb rating. And a very low critical consensus. But mm. there are a few film critics out there and a few serious film critics. One of them, Adrian Martin, who wrote for The Australian and for The Age. He loved it. He was like a, a, a lone voice in the wilderness that was shouting from the heavens that how great it was. So I actually have watched about 10 minutes of it. There is an, an Italian dubbed version of it on YouTube. <laughs> One thing I would say that was an improvement on Reckless Kelly is that it leans more into the physical slapstick, like more into like the, the Chaplin-esque choreographed physical slapstick, which, you know, is already kind of fun. The film, like Mr. Accident looks really polished. Okay. The sets, the photography, it looks more of an accomplished production. Uh, It looks like Yahoo. And it looked like Yahoo had a bit more of a vision, a bit more of an understanding of what okay. he wanted to have on screen. Again, that's based on 10 minutes of watching something in a language that I do not understand. So <laughs> I reserve the right to be wrong on that one. But it it looked a bit more promising. I, I, I would give it that. Oh, well, maybe I'll... Maybe- Maybe I will be able to give that a little bit of a, a watch at some point. It's a, it's yeah, not something that I've I've definitely definitely run to, but um, I'll, it's a, I will it, might yeah. check it out. It's it's not, I mean it's not top of the list. Yeah, but interesting for the people who are actually saying, "Hey, where is Yahoo Serious? 
Apparently nowadays, he is a board member for a charity that works with native Papua New Guineans in providing resources from private investors to people who live remotely in Papua New Guinea. And if you are so interested, Yahoo Series' website, yahooseries.com, the last copyright date of which is in 2003, it's still online. And if 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 you want to feel like you have gone back to 2003, my friend- Mate, that's that's the one. Jump on. That is the one. Jump on. Um, he he's also like an older like he was always I think a little bit older than you thought. Like he he's now a seventy year old man, and and he was not young when he made these movies. He was forty by the time Reckless Kelly came out, which is not old, but it's it's not exceedingly young. So especially in this movie, he does have a little bit more. You can see his age a little bit more. Just you can. Those, he wears those, it on his face a bit. Yeah, he wear he wears it a little bit more. He's also. Funnily enough, for someone who doesn't make a big deal of it, he looks really Australian, like in a different way because of the hair. But I have met people that look like Yahoo Serious. There's something about him that that, that it's the tan, it's that surfer's style body, it's the the look. He, he kind of looks like an AFL player. He does. He d- looks it looks like a mid two thousands AFL player, hundred percent, especially <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, I could see him sort of roaming the wing for St Kilda, like not a good, not a, not a, not a good one, but like an eighty gamer that that you know. Uh, pops up every now and then and gets sort of delisted in their late 20s. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Hmm. It's interesting. It, it, it is kind of funny. So what, what I just want to bring you back to his comment about uh, making a cartoon. When, when, when a filmmaker proclaims, hey, we're making a cartoon, the only other example I can think of that is uh, Joel Schumacher made that comment when making Batman and Robin. I guess Joe Dante is sort of the king of that with a lot of his... You know, a lot of his movies aspire to that, at least to that energy, if not that exact. Uh, well, Joe, Joe, one day, you know, he, he makes cartoonish movies. He makes movies inspired by Chuck Jones and inspired by the, the Warner Brothers cartoons of the 40s and 50s, definitely. But, but I think the, the thing that makes Joe Dante successful where uh, Schumacher and Yahoo Sirius drop the ball is that kind of cartoonish humour. That's not all there is to the movie. Um, no. So John, when Joe Dante does it, he's mixing it up with horror or he's mixing it up with adventure. And the humour, because it's a Joe Dante movie, the humour in it is actually kind of clever. Whereas, yeah, was Reckless Kelly, eh, not quite so much. Yeah, I think I think we can probably dive in the- Let's, well, I think we, can I just quickly just run over what some of the critics had to say? Sure, yeah, yeah. Not enough reviews for a Rotten Tomatoes store on this one, but- there is an evenly split audience score of 50%. Hmm. Peter Crayford in the Australian Financial Review was having none of this movie. He said, Sirius's delivery of his lines is nothing short of embarrassing. His voice is thin and limp, and he seems to be more amused by their witlessness than their intended audience. In brackets, estimated, I would think, somewhere between 5 and 11, but with a reading age of 2. <laughs> Jeez. Brutal. I, mean, I, I think we've had the AFR on before. I, I don't. I think they were pretty brutal on the last movie that we quoted the AFR on as well. So, well, they're they're man, they're, they're bean counters. They don't care about movies. They, you know, uh, not not the first place I would go for cultural. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Tom Ryan in the Sunday Age was a bit kinder. He said the movie's more like a comic strip than a character comedy. The distinction is not intended to carry a pejorative edge. <laughs> And it stamps Sirius as an impressive filmmaker whose sense of fun is hard to resist. 
even if the results are rather uneven, and as a screen comedian whose flair for visual comedy is refreshing. FFC Hardy Fajwada David Stratton was well, not David a massive St- fan either. He, he, he did I'm shocked. One. I'm sure you're shocked to know. I'm shocked, to, uh, shocked that he did this one. Of course, this is an Australian movie. He did it, but it's just something. They feel poles apart. They feel very, very poles apart. <laughs> he said, "What reckless Terry's? What? Re- Why do I keep on saying rec- reckless Terry? Terry, John Terry is like." <laughs> he said, "What reckless Terry seriously lacks in genuine laughs? What reckless Terry serious lacks? Oh, can I spit it out, David. <laughs> spit it out." He said. What Reckless Telly seriously lacks is genuine laughs. <laughs> there are visual gags, but the dialogue relies on ghastly puns, and all too often the scene builds up to a punchline that falls flat. And that, my friend, is why he's one of our greatest critics. Yeah, I mean, and it's, he's exactly right. It's exactly what happens. All the laughs that I got from this movie were either sort of sight gags or little bits and pieces. Just backgrounds, yeah, backgrounds, ADR gags, something like that. I can feel that you want to jump in and just really rip this movie. <laughs> Very. Let's just talk about some of the supporting cast, shall we? Oh yeah, 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 so, yeah. And and what a. I think I said this on the lead up when we did this. What a baffling supporting cast. <laughs> it's a head scratcher. I let me tell you. Uh, should we start with Melora Harden? Mm. Laura Hart, TV's TV's Jan, and 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 from The Office, and and has been in a lot of other things. But I think it, later in her life, that's the thing that she has been most known known well, for well, lately. It's a bit embarrassing because I know she's been a pretty much nonstop working actress for mm. you know, the past forty or fifty years. I have barely seen anything with her in it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, The Office, the original UK version of The Office, is one of my all-time favorite TV shows. I've not seen much of the US office and I know people love that show and I'm not shitting on it. I'm sure it's great. I believe it. I just never gave the US version a chance. I loved the UK one too much. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen quite a bit of the first like three or four series uh, and, and enjoyed it enough. And she is, she's great in it. She, she leans into what is in her offer, in her character here. Mm-hmm. But which which she's not really allowed to get into as much, which is a sort of like you know intelligent flintiness rather than the sort of goofiness that this is going for. If you know what I mean, like she's- I, I don't even know what I mean. I, I'm not yeah. blaming her, but no, she basically just has to turn up and say lines and yeah, and she's trying to give it something, and what that something is is sort of like a. She's just, clearly been told that you're sort of like a flighty intellectual almost, but is but is also supposed to be a very sort of strong feminist as well, which th- those two things can be done together. Absolutely. But in, in a movie written like this, it's a lot. It's a really, really I I don't think any of the supporting cast really understands what Yahoo Serious was going for. They, I, I feel like all of the supporting cast look a bit lost and feel a yeah. bit lost. The only two I'd say is I think regardless of whether they're hammy or not. So if we speak to the next one, which is Hugo Weaving and Tracy Mann in the sort of Hugo Weaving, just despite himself, can't stop being watchable and like he's hamming it up, but he knows what he's doing. And from the minute he comes in, you're like, can we just have a little bit more Hugo Weaving? Can we just have someone that takes command, knows what he's doing and can give you a laugh? Can can, can I just, I might disagree with you. Oh, Um, really? I, I, I look, okay. I love Hugo Weaving, mm. and 
I think he's got remarkable range. He can do comedy. He can bring the gravitas. And he's got a legacy of film work that would be the envy of pretty much every other actor out there. Hand on heart, I think he's amazing in pretty much everything, but his performance here, and I don't blame Weaving for this, it just feels like his one direction for his performance was just to sneer. It's like, oh, right, yeah, yeah, you're, you're a sneering posh boy action. And I don't think anyone could have done it better. And well, the only other person that could have done it better was in the last movie we did, which was Rickman does the exact same thing in Quickly Down Under, but is able to give that character a lot more flair and goofiness that that they just don't give you a weaving here. But, you know, you know, for, for all that shit we gave Simon Windsor when we were talking about Quigley, hmm. Miles better director. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but there's just, I, I think, I know it is a very one-note character and it is sneery, but when he's in the centre of frame, I'm just like, okay, he knows exactly what he's doing, whether or not it's like one note. He sort of knows what he's doing. He also gives me, by a long way, the biggest laugh of the movie when towards the end he gets Tracy Mann on the phone and says, let's send a fax. And just the way he says, let's send a fax, is so fucking funny. And he he knows it and he stretches it out to almost half the scene. He says it that slowly. It's so good. Which um, which, which is absolutely making a four-course decustation meal out of dog food, really. Out um, of nothing. He just like... It's, it's, it's something, I guess. I, I yeah. know. I, I felt that he was... I was even, hanging on to some e- stuff. Even Hugo Weaving, I felt, was a bit wobbly here. Yeah, I felt the same um, way with Alexi Sale. I'm always happy to see Alexi Sale in this. They, oh, they, 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 lean, they lean completely away from what always that what made him funny in The Young Ones and, and in some other places that uh, he's popped up. Wow. So I've never found Alexi Sale funny. Oh, like, I, liked him in, I liked him in The Young Ones, but that's like 40, even, 50 even, years, 40 years ago. Yeah. Even when I watched, watched The Young Ones mm. as a kid, I would fast forward past oh. the Alexi Sale bits. Yeah, he's definitely a product of his time, but he's definitely not given anything to do here. Like he just, or he's given something to do, but it's, it just, I think a lot of these are like, they're giving performances. They might've even been told what to do, but none of it fits in editing as well. Like none of it can fit together because it's just not, there's no flow. There's no- The editing is the editing appalling. Is I think we need to talk about the soundtrack of this film too. Yeah. Young Einstein had a pretty exciting soundtrack. And used well. Use well, absolutely. Use well. Yahoo Sirius is obviously a guy who who likes his music, who likes his rock music, thinks about how he can incorporate music into yep. into his films. The soundtrack for this film, band, bands I generally love, doing covers of songs that I generally love, but does not work. Not great. The Happiness is a Warm Gum Duke's um, one, not great. The the Born to Be Wild in Excess ones a bit. Dodgy as well. Well, in, in excess, it pretty much turned turn the corner by 1993. I think that's not going to be, you know, <laughs> I don't think that was a surprise for anyone. The full full moon dirty hearts era, like the gift era. Oh, anyway, late period. I th- and I think um, in the first one, the use of like the rock and roll music cover and the dumb things use and then the at first sight, like there's three absolute perfect songs for the perfect scenes used really well. Yeah. And lightning just does not strike twice. It just, no, none of that works here. No, it's, 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 you've got these bands who are willing to contribute music to your film. Just let them write something new. Yeah. I, I think it might be just a little bit out of time as well. Like those bands had slightly moved away from the center of whatever they were the center of in 989. 
989, I think, Young Einstein. And 88. Or 988. So just, just move slightly away from it. And I think also that the use in the first movie, Cohen's, just, is just a lot more important to the movie and more, and, and probably more striking, more important to the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas well, in well, this it gives one, it energy. It, in this one, it just totally feels random. It's like, hey, we've got a song. We needed one of those scenes where we get the song in, but it doesn't mean anything to that scene. It doesn't help it in any way. No, it it is kind of interesting. Something I have noticed on Spotify, the Young Einstein uh, soundtrack is available as it was. It was a big hit, I remember, back in the day. Can't find a Reckless Telly soundtrack anywhere. Just seems to have just, again, like this movie, just seems to have fallen off the earth. You've got to take, you know, 1993 is the cultural zeitgeist. You've got to take advantage of, where are the sharp? Where is sad Wendy Matthews? solo career where is deborah conway twirling on a golf course like these are these are the things that were, that were mainstream australia in 1993 bit of, bit of- just wendy matthews a lovely singer and i've actually seen live back in pubs back in the day when i was a real youngster I was sneaking into pubs um a lovely voice and the singer of some of the saddest songs of mainstream australia that i just don't ever want to hear again because my saturday morning saturday morning rage would be you know technotronic nirvana soundgarden Absent Friends. And you're like, man, one of these just doesn't fit at 9.30 <laughs> on a Saturday morning. Absent Friend Talks. There you go. Gary Gary Beer's side projects. That's, uh, is that our next podcast? Oh, let, let's do it. Lock it in. <laughs> <laughs> let's jump yeah. in and, and, and talk about the plot itself. Mm. I, I want to move briskly through it because it's not exactly stacked with plot. Yeah. But I feel like we might have to go from scene to scene because a lot of what we're talking about with like editing and what have you, there's something, especially in the first half hour, there's something in almost every scene that I think we need to mention. If mm-hmm. if you'll humor me, if that's- Oh, cool. of course, of course. <laughs> the opening title sequence, and again, saying something nice about the movie, the inverted commas joke it's predicated on is really fucking stupid. But the helicopter footage of the ocean at sunset Filmed upside down because don't you know, American audiences, we're all upside down here, down under. The footage itself with the accompanying Yothi Yindi track, it's really Jap- striking. And like yeah, the- Japana, Japana sounds great. It yeah. looks like it is really. Yeah. I noticed that too when I first saw it. I was like, ooh, yeah. okay, maybe. And, and like the first 30 seconds here, I'm thinking, I'm actually pretty <sighs> hopeful for the movie because this is the yeah. first time I've seen it. So I'm like, wow, actually, we, we should have something here. Mm. But we transitioned from this beautiful sequence that was clearly second unit to this flat establishing shot of the Glen Rowan Hotel on Reckless Island. This brown-on-brown shot that is so jarring. It's like cutting from something shot by Roger Deaton's to cutting to something filmed on an old iPhone. And there's this whiplash of that's kind of heightened by the kangaroos crossing the shot, being ADR'd with boing-boing sound effects. There's like, so many boings. Oh, my God. It's Australia's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah. If that's the kind of joke that you're opening your movie on, yeah. Oh, it's like, mate, we are in for a bumpy ride. It is funny. The the shots of the kangaroos and animals on the couch, I think it might be replayed almost into double figures. Like, they <laughs> cut to that so often that I started to think they'd mean something at the end more than they did. They almost like, built them up as characters, didn't they? But no, they're just... They're- they're just laying on a couch. And it's like, whatever. I guess it's a good sight gag the first time or whatever, but it doesn't... Like, it's nothing. And they just keep coming back to it over and over again. So we're introduced to Ned Kelly and his Kelly family history of intergenerational bank robbers. I did have a legit laugh here when he's talking about his ancestors starting the world's first biker gang. 
and they cut to an old black and white photograph of a bunch of heavily armed outlaw looking dudes on penny farthings. Yeah, that was, I, I gave me a bit of I, a, I had a shuffle. snicker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're established that Ned lives at the Glen Rowan Hotel on Reckless Island with his uncle Dan and his cousin, Anthony Aykroyd, I believe. This is Anthony Aykroyd, yep. Um, his cousin. Whose, whose direction was officious. <laughs> That's it. And it's kind of funny. So we're introduced to his uncle Dan and to his cousin, Anthony Aykroyd. And we're thinking, are these, these are meant to be characters in the film. We're meant to care about these people. But then we cut back to them here and there throughout <laughs> the movie, but they're barely characters. Yeah, yeah. They're not. They're just not anything. Yeah. They're clearly setting them up to be like his sort of like, you know, his family, what, what brings him back, what makes it important. And you don't get that feeling, not even in a comedy, you don't get that feeling. Should we mention that the Glen Rowan Hotel is a pub? It's also a video rental store that's situated on an island hundreds of miles from anywhere. However, they seem to do pretty good business because judging by the beer tin cleanup going on each morning, there's obviously a regular clientele coming through. So, Well, they did say that they're the manufacturers of and... What did they say? Manufacturer and customer uh, of their beer. So they just drink it themselves. So they're just alcoholics, right? They're alcoholics. They're just alcoholics. Okay, I I missed that. That that, that. that is one of his opening monologues. That opening monologue has a couple of things that should make you laugh, at least in the background. But that monologue at the beginning, like the narration is just, it doesn't fill you with confidence for the movie. No, no. No. But, but, well, it does explain... Ned Kelly in this universe is very much a Robin Hood, steals from the rich, gives to the poor kind of outlaw. Even though the real Ned Kelly, he and his gang, only did a couple of robberies and it wasn't for philanthropy at all. It was to get money so they could flee Victoria. But, you know, what the hell? Don't get let the truth get in the way of a good story. I don't don't think that anyone's ever stuck to the Ned Kelly story exactly (laughs) in any retelling or in any way. Could I actually, I just get this off my chest as well. Mm. The Glen Rowan Hotel, that was the site of the Kelly gang's last stand against the police in real life. So that was where Ned Kelly's brother and two best mates were guns down in front of him. Mm. That was where he was captured prior to his trial and execution. So I have my doubts that even in this heavily fictionalized version of Ned Kelly's life, I really have doubts that he would want to name his home after that particular place. Just, just, just doesn't seem right. It'd be, it'd be like, sure. Oh, it'd be like coming, it'd be like coming up with a fictionalized version of Mama Cass, um, <laughs> and then having them open up a ham sandwich shop or something. I'm just, I'm, I, I just can't imagine that, you know, iteration of that character wanting to live in a place named yep. that. Every single comparison or metaphor I could think of was highly offensive, and at least you sort of got in the middle there, which is not bad. Mama, Mama Cass is okay. Mine were. I just could not think of one that wasn't highly offensive. Not that well, I, not did, that I wanted, did. not that I wanted to, but it was just one of those things where I'm like, there must be a good comparison here. I was like, nope, I don't have one. Just can't get it in my head. Well, we could talk about um, how our former Australian Prime Minister Harold Holt who drowned. What's the name of our local swimming pool here hmm. in uh, Southeast Melbourne? The Harold's Holt Swim Centre. Oh, that's... that's no, but no one, no one says anything. It's, it's just like... Just, oh, yeah. just genius. Like, it's become a thing that every every year it comes up on Twitter or Facebook. It's like, ha-ha, aren't they funny? It's like, it's been like that for years. Like, no one cares. It's just, it just is. It, it just is. Yep. It, you're right. You're right. I know you're right. So even though Reckless Kelly lives on an island hundreds of miles away from anywhere, he still manages to ride his motorcycle through what looks like the centre of Australia through to Sydney. Yep. yep. Which makes me think that Reckless Island is meant to be somewhere in the Gulf of Carpentaria, I guess. Which from is like where? Th- thousands of miles away. 
I don't, the only, like, I thought it might have just been, like, I don't know, Burke. <laughs> like, where is he writing from? Not that it matters. Like, I don't. It, does, it doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter, but it is, it's a very, it, it only serves the purpose of making the environmental message later. It doesn't need to be there otherwise. You don't even have to say where it is. You don't have to say it's online. You don't have to say anything. You can just say Glen Rowan. But they do that to make the environmental message that comes in later more, I guess, have more weight. A bit um, more weight to it, I guess. But it, it just, confu- it frankly, just confuses everything. Which, I mean, wherever it is on the coast of Australia, he still mm. manages to have to commute through the centre of Australia <laughs> to Sydney, and somehow he does this trip in a morning. So, yep. interesting trivia, though. The stretch of Outback Road where they filmed Ned tearing through, uh, through to Sydney, mm. the same stretch of road where they filmed the tank crash in Mad Max 2. Ooh, famous stretch of road, a little bit more... Uh invigorating in Mad Max 2, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) I know which movie I prefer to be watching. (laughs) Again, I get the movie is going for the tone of a cartoon, but for any of the events of the film to mean anything, I mean, yeah, you've got to have your big toe dipped into some form of reality, right? Or or at least a reality, or at least a reality within the movie that lets your gags work, because I think the next scene is the one that really puts you offside in the movie, because... The, perform- the robbery scene? The robbery scene and the performances through it and the editing is like so stilted and strange. And So the bank robbery scene, Ned mm. holds up an ATM machine. Yeah, it's trying to be funny. I mean, it's great to see old money when they started flicking out the old purple $5 nice. notes. I was like, look at that, look at that. It was nice to see old money. Is the ATM machine meant to be sentient in some kind of way? Yeah, it's like an, it's like an X-Files thing. Like, And in a better, that is one thing that I was watching. It's like, with a more light touch and a, you know, just a better written script, maybe with a little bit better editing and, and framing, like that could have been a, you know, a nice little gag. Instead, what, what, it's like thuddingly obvious. Well, what do you think? Would the movie have been better if it went for a more of a, like a Tim and Eric surreal kind of tone, but maybe like a, a more family friendly version of that? Maybe. I think, I think, I, I like I said, I'm not an expert, so I don't know, but what it needed to do was not take its gag so seriously just throw them like and if they don't work treat them lightly and keep moving because they don't do that they linger which means that you linger and i think this is also where god bless him like i say i don't say these things i'm just sort of saying what i saw is that his performance in this one is so speechifying and and stilted compared to how he was able to work around his sort of persona in young young einstein by keeping everything a little bit shorter and tighter and and lighter in this, in yeah. this, it stops for it, and you can just see the speechifying, and you can see the film acting is just not there. It just doesn't. It doesn't come across in any it, way at all. Completely yeah. agree. Completely agree. Again, a minor chuckle here. Uh, this was more due to line delivery than anything. The two girls walking past, remarking, "Hey, look at the dickhead talking <laughs> yeah. to the ATM machine." Yeah, that was. I, I love. I love the random old guy passing by and saying, "That's no yeah. dickhead. That's Ned Kelly." <laughs> But the, the robbery itself, I mean, there is so much to unpack mm. here. So so Reckless Kelly's grand robbery strategy is he robs ATM machines at gunpoint. He then takes the bank's own cash into the actual branch itself and then insists it's used to top up the mortgages of people who are struggling to make their repayments. And I, I know I'm talking about a movie that features a talking dog. <sighs> But fuck me, I'm, I'm pretty certain all of these transactions that were carried out in the heat of an armed robbery, pretty sure they'd be rescinded pretty damn <laughs> well, quickly. Well, no, but David, there's an ace in the hole that they have. 
Oh, receipts. receipts. <laughs> Make sure you send out receipts. Got, it's like, oh, it's quite, he, he thinks of everything. He thinks of everything. There's quite a lot of receipt chat in this movie, which I was not expecting at all. <laughs> so during the robbery, we also meet the love interest in the film, uh, an American bank teller who is named... Uh, are you sitting mm, down, Daniel? Because mm. this joke might just be too funny. Is there appropriate padding around your chair? You might just fall on the floor. Last chance. Her name is Robin Banks. Like, fuck me. So That's like Seltzer and Friedberg epic movie, kind of. There's also no way for that to loop around and be funny again. There's just no way for it to do that. So you, how, how, did, how, did that, how did that make it through? Yeah. How, how did that make it to... They were filming that day and they said, right, Robin Banks... Yeah, I like it. Let's hmm. let's keep it in. In the words of the uh, esteemed late night, they chose poorly. <laughs> they chose damn right they did. <laughs> Ned's getaway shit out with the cops, so the police sergeant has a Hitler moustache. So subtle. Well, it is due to the due to his sort of nature of the way he looks and his physicality. He, it's very much a Blakey from on the buses moustache more than a Hitler moustache. <laughs> For those, oh, it, for those that it, remember Blakey, it kind of is now. You got me thinking about <laughs> yeah. it. But t- was Blakey from on the buses trying to look like Hitler, or is that uh, was that was that intentional? Oh, that's a good point, David. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure someone's written a paper on that in one of the esteemed universities uh, of the motherland in the UK. But I, God, I hope not. I've never thought. Are about we making that. comments of national socialism uh, in, a, in, in, in the microcosm of uh, the London bus system uh, <laughs> on the buses? Oh my God! Does that make? Um, oh my God! What was his? Was it his niece or his daughter? That they were always trying to, he was always trying to palm off on the two lads. Oh, anyway, too much mate, on, I, there's, I, I, there's too I much on the buses I, talk. It's been a long time. There's a lot of gunplay. So, I will say yeah, that. Yeah, so, so, so we know the part of like the real Ned Kelly story where he built his armor to face off for the cops, which worked to a point, except he didn't have armor for his legs. So the cops turned his legs into Swiss cheese. Hmm. Yahoo Sirius seems to play with this element of the story just by having his Ned Kelly just be kind of impervious to bullets. Mm. I, I think there's a line somewhere about him being shot a hundred times over his bank robbing career. And he's a bit blase about it now, which kind of seems like it's approaching being a joke, but it just seems like more of a plot convenience that sets up something later in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the joke seems to be in the way they treat the bullets which, again, look, it's not ever going to be the funniest movie on earth, but if that gag of him, like, losing the air out of his lungs while he fixes everything up was a quarter of the time and moved through quicker, it might have got a chuckle or it might have just got a knowing nod, which is nice as well, instead of me going, like, are you going to finish this gag? Can we just get to the next gag, please? <laughs> it's like, I was thinking about shooting myself in the lung too yeah. while I was watching I, it. I do, and I do feel, like I said, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a filmmaker and I am loath. Like, I chose this movie, so it's, you know, it's the one that I wanted to see. It's just a, it's just funny when you, when you do watch movies where you can, where I notice editing and I notice gags going oh, on to them, where you can actually, yes. where you can notice, because I don't notice things. I'm not a trained eye. I do, I watch movies to enjoy them. I, I, I haven't, I'm not a film scholar in any way or, or, or knowledgeable in the technical aspects. You're listening to this because I'm this, willing to watch Australian movies, but. This is an amateur podcast all the way. But this, in this movie, you can tell, I'm like, why is this gag going on so long? Why did they make those five cuts? What is happening? Like, um, well, which is very unusual for me to even notice. And the editing, like, we, we, I know we've been talking about mm. the editing. This particular scene, Ned's shooting his way out from, with the cops. He's shooting the guns out of the cops' hands. He's shooting like tear gas canisters, rah, rah, rah. 
And then somewhere in all of this, he loses the lenses of one of his sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And it's this like really noticeable bit of costume change. And it's like, well, hang on, how did that happen? <laughs> you, like, what, what? you want me to watch this, but why? <laughs> But it was it, it just it just seemed like they didn't have enough footage somehow. It's just like yeah, whatever. Which seems to be a bit of a, a continuing theme through the film. Yeah. So the robbery scene it's wrapped up by an Australian sporting great, TV commentator, and purveyor of fine collections of sporting anecdotes, <laughs> Big Maxie Walker, Walker. Uh, cameoing as a news anchor, and the world's the world's happiest news anchor, by the way. It's like- <laughs> <laughs> oh, be a Maxi. He made me happy he watching did. him. Seeing, so. seeing Maxi Walker, I had, a, I had a vague memory that Maxi Walker was in this movie, so I was very happy when I saw him. And in a neat little bit of exposition from Big Maxi, apparently Ned Kelly's ongoing campaign of stealing from banks and helping working people has lowered interest rates and lowered inflation. If, if this movie so, if this movie had anything going for it, David, it's, it's reappraisal and it's embraced by the wider Australian public would have been in the last 12 months. Well, this is the thing. So, Daniel, I've, I've got a layman's understanding of economics. Yep. It's not my strong suit, but I can't say I understand how what Ned Kelly is doing can do either of those things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. It, yeah. It, it does. It does betray. It does make you think and then think. No, I'm. I'm not the dumb one here. <laughs> it's, it's re- reckless telly. It makes you think. Um, and it makes you think. They don't know what they're talking about. I, I guess. I guess, David. We've found that you know it doesn't matter whether it's supply or demand side shocks. Interest rates are the key to uh, the way we control our monetary policy in this in this country. So. Yahoo was just way ahead of his time. And, and at the time, it's funny, like the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s in Australia were a interest rates were even a bigger thing than they are now. Like I remember oh, that yeah, trial, huge. and yeah. I remember that Banana Republic speech from Paul Keating and there was a lot going on there at the time. But I don't think this is the succinct and brilliant summation of that period that <laughs> that maybe it thinks it is. This movie's this movie attempts satire on so many levels, and let's just say it right now: it, it's it's a fatal mistake. It could have gone for physical comedy like Young Einstein, like Mr. Accident, but its decision to go for satire and to attempt to satirize Australian culture, American culture, film culture, big business, all these things, unless you actually have something to say about it as opposed to oh isn't this bad it's not really much of a of a foundation to build your film on no it's a it's a there's a lot of targets um and it doesn't sort of hit any of them right on. So, at this point in the film, we're actually introduced to the villains, a sneering Hugo Weaving playing Sir John, who is the CEO of the bank Kelly just robbed. Yes. And Alexis Sale as Major Wibb. His, his introduction, David, is so baffling. It's he, he, one, one, one of many baffling scenes. Hugo, Hugo Weaving, the character, doesn't seem to know where this other character has come from. Like... It's not a, I've sent, like, it, it's just a really, really strange scene where the character has to introduce himself from start to finish. And you're like, surely someone knows who this guy is. Can't we share this information <laughs> out with other people? Maybe, maybe you know he's coming. Maybe there's some kind of, someone can introduce him. It is so strange. So strange. It's, it's bizarre. Alexis Sales' character, Major Whip, he's some kind of corporate muscle yeah. slash detective. They use a fragment of bar mass that Ned Kelly left at the robbery to deduce that the Kelly's hideout is the Glenrowan Hotel on Reckless Islands. And they decide that they will take care of Kelly by selling 
Reckless Island out from under him to the Japanese. And I'm going to say the Japanese, I'll do my little finger inverted commas here, because man, just what this movie needs, a little bit of late 80s, early 90s Japanophobia. Yeah, yeah. That was cringy. For, for a movie, and especially like Yahoo Serious, he seems to be a guy who, he seems to be very pro-multiculturalism. Yeah. He doesn't want to put people down. I mean, at, at the most generous, you could say it's a failed attempt at satirizing what had gone before it because it's so late in the piece and it's so out of kilter that it does feel that, but it's never commented on and you get no, put it this way, it doesn't build on that in any way. So you have to sort of take it at face value because they don't do enough to make you not take it at face value. Did you also notice here when Alexis Sale is listing his credentials to Hugo Weaving, does he actually flub a line? Like, did you, because he, he makes oh, mention- no, this. So he makes mention of being part of Her Majesty's intelligence branch and he stammers on the word intelligence, oh. which- Part of me is thinking it's like a really pale, okay. dumb person working in intelligence trying to joke, ha-ha. But I actually watched this a few times, and I genuinely think Sale just blanked on his line for a second. Just missed it. it just missed it. Stayed in character to finish his sentence, and rather than just do another take, they just kept that take in the movie. Oh, my it was, God. It's such a strange moment. It ah. is bizarre. This is the only thing that's going to make me go back and watch some of this. You don't need to go back and watch this. It's, it's, you know, take my word for it. <laughs> I will. I will. I promise. <laughs> and, and and Hugo Weaving not knowing um, what a kangaroo is, like the, like the character Hugo Weaving's playing does yeah, not know what weird. a kangaroo is. That is bizarre. Like there are billions of people on this planet who have never set foot in this country and they all know what a kangaroo is. Come on. Yeah. If you want to find some way of like intimating that he's evil, you don't have to because he's just coded that way. This just makes him sound weird and stupid. So Ned and Uncle Dan confront Hugo Weaving about his selling of the island. Yeah. It turns out that through tribal plot convenience, <laughs> that the Kellys can purchase the island back for themselves. However, they need to come up with the, and I want to be able to say this in a Dr. Yeah, yeah. voice, but I can't, the $1 million <laughs> that the Japanese are willing to pay. So $1 million for an island paradise within commuting distance of the Sydney CBD. Mate, that is the bargain of the century. And they say $1 million enough, so you get the idea, don't you? I'd give them $1 million and one just to be able to get my hands on that. <laughs> There is one unbreakable rule that's followed by the Kelly gang, and that is that any money stolen from the bank can't be used for their own personal gain. Mm. Why is that a rule? No idea. So Ned decides his way around the rule is to go and rob banks in another country, which is a great idea because obviously there aren't any poor people living overseas, I guess. So, you know, whatever. It's it's a a weird way around it. It would be so much better if there was some sort of crisis of faith and he had to do it. And there was, that was what turned him in the end or something, but nope. Oh, that would have been interesting, but, but hey, we can't have that. Yeah. So the movie has set Ned up as a bit of a bit of an Americanophile. He likes American movies. He yep. likes guns. So he decides it's off to America to find the money he needs to save Reckless Island. Yep. And just so happens Robin Banks is on his flight. The visual date about the overcrowding of the economy section of the plane. Like there's two people per seat. There's people holding caged birds for some reason. <laughs> the caged birds um, is nuts. 
his bare feet just coming into frame. We're getting, we're kind of getting into Zucker Brothers yeah. kind of territory here. But nothing else is done with the joke. It's a funny visual gag, but I guess. Like, I don't know anything about, like I said, I don't know these, but you know what that joke needs to be is they just show it quickly, they do it, they flay the rest of the scene. And when he's getting off the plane, I don't know, two elephants get off with him or. It's like a clown car, and when they show the end of the thing, there's like two and a half thousand people getting <laughs> off this plane. Or so. You know what I mean? There needed to be this button on the yeah on the gag because that's the only kind of that kind of visual joke you kind of get. Yeah, that's right. Like there aren't too many. It just seems to be like that's it, and then yeah, it's inconsistent. Yeah. So Alexi Sales somehow gets word that Ned Kelly is off to America to raise the money. How does he know? No idea. He meets Hugo weaving in a shooting range and and another moment of what the hell is this movie doing? Alexis Sale does the old, you know, shoots a big hole through a picture of Ned Kelly to, I guess, portray that the threat in the movie has been heightened. But then Hugo weaving just cuts in and says, oh, no, you can't do anything like that because you'll tarnish the reputation of the bank. And the scene just kind of limps out a joke and then ends. Yeah. Like the villain of the movie shooting or destroying the visage of the hero. That's that's a cliche that's 100 years old. But it sets up really simply the danger is coming for the hero. Mm. And for a movie like this where you can get away with it because it's a silly comedy, so who cares? Why don't you just have it? Just, just escalate that danger. But, you know, you end the scene with the villain saying... Oh, no, we can't do that. It's like, well, yeah. what, what the hell is the scene even for? What, ca- like, what it, can it, you do then? Yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. The threat hasn't been elevated. It's been lowered. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> I'm not. Anyway, we're in America. <laughs> <laughs> the American part veers so quickly and suddenly into that fantastical realm that it, it does feel like it's more than one screenplay put together. Oh, it just seems like it's just post-it notes just wedged together, mm. blue tacked together. Ned riding on his bike around the LA freeways. I think the biggest thud of a joke in the movie. I, I think I might have actually swore at my laptop at this scene where he steps off for directions from the proprietor of Custer's last hot dog stand. Is this after LA Story? It's after LA Story. LA Story's freeway gag is like, you know, they can end all of the 80s LA freeway gags. You know what I mean? And I think this is... Uh, Two years too little, too late. Maybe five years too little, too late in terms of LA but freeway gags. LA, so, so LA story though, like Steve Martin, isn't it the joke? Like the freeway signs are speaking to it, random. Oh yeah, and then the, Los Angelinos and. But there's also just like, like an open like warfare from guns <laughs> during uh, the, within that but, as well. But, but that's kind of silly, but it kind of works. It's it's kind it's it's, and, it's and clever, it's, and it's the end of a lot of years of versions of that joke in movies. Actually, Clueless has a great one as well. But Custer's last hot dog stand. Come on. God (laughs) damn it. When they've got you offside, you're offside as well. (laughs) I guess at this point, too, we can introduce two of the more baffling casting decisions, and not in a bad way, that I've ever been, that I had completely forgotten. So first of all, you see Mother Superior from the Blues Brothers show up when he's on the scene. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, Kathleen, what's her name? Kathleen. Uh, it's Kathleen. Kathleen Freeman. Kathleen Freeman, who I was so delighted to see. Microwave Marge in Gremlins 2. Yeah, she's just- A Joe Dante picture. Yeah, she's just such a delight. You're like, oh, Kathleen Freeman's here. This is so exciting. And John Panette, <laughs> John Panette turns up and they're, they're just a strange couple of characters. He's sort of like a independent slash Steve Martin in Bowfinger style movie producer. 
but maybe well, a little bit more uppity. It's just such a baffling, David. I'm finding it very hard to actually articulate because it's the turn is so strange. Just this this particular scene, just this turn. I mean, this is an integral scene mm. to the film. Ned happens upon what he thinks is a bank robbery in progress, but whoops, it turns out to be a film production. Yeah. Shooting a sequel to what is set up to be Ned's favourite movie, The Hollywood Outlaw. Yeah. Even though this is a film that kind of looks more like a subpar Stephen J. Chanel type low budget TV series. It's 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 like a movie that, that Homer would watch on the TV <laughs> movie of the week that he would watch on The Simpsons. <laughs> it's like Crime-solving crime solving boat. boat. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, Ned, Ned intervenes in this film shoot, thinking it's a robbery. He's out to help the armed robber fend off the cops. Somehow, he can see police cars in the street, but he can't see 50 film set workers. He can't <laughs> see the true. giant lights, the boom mics, the cameras. Not, not so obvious to Ned. I mean, whatever. Now, the Hollywood outlaw herself, an attractive woman in a bit of a revealing outfit. When she's talking outside of the film shoot, she's suddenly got like a guy's voice. Like she sounds like one of the dinosaur appliances in the Flintstones. Like, you know, it's like, I do all <laughs> the little... work and he gets all the credit. <laughs> but then the, the the joke just stops right there. And I mean, I, I'm thankful that the movie doesn't make a cheap transphobic joke. But but on the flip side, what is the joke? Like, what's the joke? What's then? the joke? Yeah. yeah. It's almost like we're supposed to fill in that joke for them, but like you never told you never told one. <laughs> it's it's just so strange. I, I guess yeah. they're going for a bit of a we're not in Kansas anymore kind of thing. Yeah. And I guess it's following up Crocodile Dundee obviously had that very successful setup of Culture Clash versus Mitch in New York life. I guess we're trying to lean into that here, but just completely unsuccessfully yeah exactly it, it doesn't have the it doesn't have the charm like it just it, it just lays there unfortunately yeah. so we are trying to put ned in a place where he's a little bit weirded out he's a little bit yep. isolated it sets up ned being on the back foot and being in this strange kind of like new lands but yahoo series I mean, yahoo series he seems so intent on making his character just really so cool and unflustered that the movie doesn't even allow him that little bit of vulnerability to make that oh i'm in this new weird kind of environment it doesn't allow him that little bit of vulnerability to make that work yeah he's the character is so cool that he's never uncomprehending which i which it's okay. Like you, maybe you don't want to play him as sort of like a dopey sort of idiot for want of a better word, because that's, that's not what you want the character to be, but he's cool without any interior life. Like he's just nothing. He doesn't laugh at his own jokes, but he also doesn't laugh at other people. He doesn't sell the other jokes. So you're not entirely sure. Yeah. What's making what, it work. What, and, and what Ned is apart from the exterior motivation of money. Like, and like I say, we're talking about a silly comedy here, but, but, but you shouldn't be asking these questions. Like it should be making you know that without even thinking. But, but even like in the dumbest comedies, like you can still have your protagonists overcome something or achieve something. Yeah. Like I'm just thinking like flying high slash airplane, Ted Stryker overcomes his fear of flying. <laughs> like Ron Burgundy and Anchorman hits rock bottom and yeah, realizes he needs to become a better person. So, I mean, I'm not saying those kind of films have characters with incredible dimension, but if you think about it, like all, all, all of the comedies you like, all of the characters make some kind of progress in some way. And it's just weird to see this movie kind of sets it up, but just doesn't follow through on it at all. Yep, exactly. That's that's a really good way of putting it. You mentioned John Panette playing uh, Hollywood outlaw producer slash director Sam DeLance. Yeah. <laughs> Just a very, I don't know, it, it was a delight to see him. Like, and he, he, he gives it his all. 
And I do give, here's a good thing to say about this movie. Yahoo series is completely unafraid to put whoever in these movies. He doesn't have, like, there's no, I want it to look a certain way or the characters should all be cool. Like, they're just a bunch of completely random characters and a complete bunch of random actors to play those characters. And it may not work for the movie, but I sort of applaud the ability just to be like, yeah, let's put Kathleen Freeman and John Pennett in this movie. They're kind of awesome. So let's do that now. Doesn't give me anything to do, but at least they're there. Oh, look, I'm I'm not complaining about the casting of this film at all. So this particular scene, John Pennett, as I said, producer and director, he and his mum, played by Kathleen Freeman, approach Ned and offer him the chance of taking up an acting career in which Ned could make the million dollars he needs to save his island home. I just want to talk again about the editing in this particular scene. Did you notice this? The really jarring edits. There's like a wide shot where Sam is talking to Ned at his desk and Ned's sitting in a chair with his back to camera. And seriously, I watched this like a dozen times. (laughs) When they cut to John Pennett, when he's talking, there is a Yahoo serious mannequin sitting with its back to camera. I'm, I'm not <laughs> lying. You can watch it for yourself. It feels like there's an extended shot and they have a mannequin standing in for Yahoo serious. And it's like oh completely God. inanimate. And then they just cut to a close up of Yahoo Sirius's face. Who's now all of a sudden standing up and just smiling and nodding and acting very <laughs> lively. And it is, it is so shoddy. It is, it is oh, just man. remarkable. Look, watch watch the scene. I don't have a yeah. I don't have the the time code on it for this particular scene, but I know the one you mean. Wow, though. it 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 is it's something else. Oh, that's I mean, and that's it's almost sad, isn't it? It's like uh, there would I mean, this movie was made by professionals. Yeah. So how how does how does that happen? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the issue is that you've made a movie, you've got more money, you've had plenty of time. If if it, if it's like if it's Film students just like trying to, you know, making a film on weekends, or, like with no or, money. Or if it was whatever. young Einstein, right? Where you're trying to figure it out and you're maybe yeah, not as professional yeah, as you're wh- going to Whatever. Be. Yeah. Like you can overlook it, but come on, man. This is the studio <laughs> film. Yeah. And at this point, so he, th- th- this is where I'm not sure if we talking about it. This is where he could find his million dollars that he, he wants a million dollars to be in this movie. And that's how he's going to get the million dollars to, to pay off the Glenn Rowan. He, he's, he's starring in a film for John Pennett for a million bucks. Correct. Alexi Sale has somehow partnered up with the LAPD to hunt for Ned, who mm. who confront Ned after a robbery. But luckily, Sam steps in and convinces the cops that Ned's an actor and that the LAPD aren't allowed to shoot actors. So <laughs> I guess that's if that's a joke, that's something that's so dated. I just don't get what it's referencing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe it's just a terrible joke. I don't know. Probably. I don't think. I mean, LAPD are famous for a hell of a lot of things. Or infamous for a hell of a lot of things. Was Rodney King an actor? I don't think it's about shooting actors, and at least that's not what they were known for at the time, that's for sure. Oh, who knows? Anyway, Ned is hired to star in a straight-to-video movie, The Christian Cowboy, (laughs) with Robin Banks returning to the film as his co-star. And then the movie spends like 10 minutes as a movie within a movie, skating through some pretty unfunny scenes of Ned riding around Las Vegas with like a neon crucifix on his bike, and shooting up action film stereotypes. This was a long scene. This was a long, long scene. Yeah, it's a pretty gag-free sequence. And the the the, the fat Scottish guy eating a Big Mac. That I was kind of gagging watching that. <laughs> 
Yeah, it just, it has, I think this runs into a pretty big obvious problem too, which is like, if you're going to satirize like action movies, you also have to be a good action movie because that's how you make, you know, that's how the nice guys works or that's how even Last Action Hero or like those sort of movies, you have to be a good action movie to be able to satirize what you're doing to keep to keep the audience's interest and to make it exciting. Well, yeah, you've got to be one step ahead of, of other action movies. Yeah, or you have to be as absolutely ludicrous as like the Naked Gun or something, or a Zucker Brothers movie is. Um, and the middle, the middle way there without gags is no, it's not the best, and it, it is a long one, and it's where the movie really takes a turn for very heavy-handed satire, oh. and I would say barely satire at this point. It's just straight messaging. It's it's it is straight messaging. It's uh, yeah. it. I mean, the, the humor. Think of the years of five years after Fast Forward wore out its welcome. It's that level of humor. <laughs> or that standard, it's. Uh, I mean, we're pro- Sorry, pro- probably getting towards Stit House level. Um, that really got that. Really, that really got me there. <laughs> comedy company levels. Yeah, we are. We certainly are. We can sit through the romance scenes, oh, right? Please. I mean, Ned fixes a little street urchin's popcorn cart, <laughs> which in turn gets Robin Banks pretty hot for Ned. Yep. They go on a ride on his bike where they awkwardly stare out over the city from the Hollywood sign at sunset. I'll say something else nice here. And this scene is as obvious and as forced as any other scene in this movie. But when Ned reads out the line from Shakespeare's As You Like It, like the all, all the world's a stage. Yeah, yeah. And all the weird Hollywood Boulevard extras kind of pour into the frame and onto the street and around Ned. I kind of like that scene. Like, it, there's no bad joke. It's just kind just of- a, the movie. It just a, takes a moment to embrace weirdness. And it's I a vis- visually like engaging scene as well. Like, it yeah, cap- it's captures kind, your eye. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. and it's kind, it's kind of nice. Yeah. It's kind of nice, yeah. Do you want to make a mention of 1993 Skype, the 22nd video message that has to be mailed by snail mail? Yeah, I did like that. It's such a, like I said, a gag in a better movie, definitely, Like, but but not for this one. I, I just, the speed, David, with which I think we're, we all even forget just like in the narrowness of time, the amount that I see other people now on screens compared to four years ago prior to COVID, prior to Zoom becoming all-encompassing as a business thing, mm-hmm. it, hap- it happened, but people didn't really like it that much. Like people would FaceTime, absolutely. That, that's been ingrained through the 2010s. But in 2018, 19, if you're out of work, yes, you would have video conferencing, but often people would, wouldn't really want to do it. And Zoom wasn't all there. so it would I, be, I hate it. It would, be, it would be WebExes and it would be, you know, in a conference room where one person was at home and they'd be on and you'd still have to use sort of a Citrix connection or something. Like it just wasn't easy. Zoom came along, boom, like it's easy and we do it all day, every day now, at least I do my yeah. job a lot of the time. But it's just fascinating to think about how little we had that even four years ago, right? Even though the it was there and probably available um, and I'm sure there's various socioeconomic, cultural, and different reasons for that. But it's just, it's amazing how much time I've spent staring into the screen at people in the past four years. <laughs> it just made me miss videotapes, actually. It's a... <laughs> <laughs> Video there, there is sort of thing, yeah. Right. So there is finally some kind of movement on the overall plot. Does it make sense? Not really. Mm-mm. Alexis Sale just kind of appears in front of the studio and convinces a couple of autograph hunters to assassinate Ned. So he pulls them aside and says that the Ned Kelly that gave them an autograph earlier is an imposter. Mm -hmm. 
who stole Ned Kelly's identity. Mm-hmm. And now that they have his autograph, that Ned Kelly can now steal their identities. And the only way to protect their identities is to kill Ned Kelly. Now, I would say that you can't make this shit up. But Yahoo Serious did make this shit up. I just described that scene to you, Dan. I don't know what I fucking said. Yeah, like, it also it also has the end point of all of that, right? And it's supposed to be silly. But if you just take it at its absolute base value, regardless of what Alexi Sales says, these autograph hunters are now just going to kill someone. Like, they're just going to kill someone. That, that he's convinced them to kill someone. <laughs> yeah. Utterly ridiculous. Like... Did that even make sense? It doesn't. It doesn't. No. I it mean, doesn't. You, ma- you made sense, but it doesn't. It doesn't particularly make sense. And not entirely sure why they're bringing in new characters at the stage. It's just. It's just. It's just another flavor, David. That maybe this movie could have slightly done without. You know what? But flavors a word that I I, I invite flavor. I like flavor. <laughs> I don't think flavors the word that we no, need to say here. No. <laughs> um, I will give a shout out. One of the autograph hunters in this scene played by a fellow called Martin Ferrero yep. who played the lawyer in the original Jurassic Park that got eaten. They got eaten, yeah. Got eaten off the bog. Yep, yep. What a career. Like, that's a highlight, right, if you get eaten off the top of the toilet. This this film came out the same year as Jurassic Park, so... Oh, huh. so I wonder which one... <laughs> which one will he be remembered yeah, well, for? Which... <laughs> <laughs> What's up the most in his mind 40 years later? <laughs> <laughs> so just before Sam can pay mm. Ned his $1 million, it turns out that Sam's movie studio owes money to Hugo Weaving's bank, who then freezes all of Sam's accounts primarily to prevent Ned from getting his money. So even though he plans on assassinating Ned anyway, it's always good to have a plan B, I guess. It's just Al Capone. Yeah, yeah, I know. But luckily, uh, Kathleen Freeman, Sam's mum, has conveniently been stashing away the studio's cash. So she can just get a whole bunch of bills out of the washing machine, pay Ned his money, and send him back to Australia. So, hooray. Imagine their scenes. Like, imagine the two or three days that they were on set doing those scenes. It must have been must have been something. Kathleen Freeman's just like, man, I was in the Blues yeah, Brothers. Like, like, you know. I've been in some movies, man, and I now I'm in this. I'm sure it happens to a lot of jobbing actors, and they all have to make their money somehow, but it's just such a strange way of having to do it. Uh, and another weird moment that I just have to bring up too, when Ned's on his way back to Australia, the girl at the airport check-in counter, there are just those bizarre insert shots of her line delivery. So she's talking directly to Ned and to Robin, and she's just chewing the scene like it's made out of bubble gum. Yeah, she's very noticeable. And then they cut back to Ned and Robin, who just carry on with their own conversation, not even acknowledging her. Yep. And again, it's just like they took one take from they took one take for the actor where the scene was performed in one way. And then they just intercut it with the other actors performing the scene in a completely other way. Yep. And it's just oil and water and they just jam it together. It is so jarring. Yeah. It, it does. It has all the amateurs without the charm, unfortunately. <laughs> That's a nice way mm. to put it. So finally, we're back in Australia. Oh, no, wait. The two fans shoot Ned before he boards the plane, yeah. but they shoot him in his giant gold crucifix. So Ned's fine and the scene doesn't matter. Correct. Um, finally, back in Australia for real. Hugo Weaving, Alexis Sale, and their bank dunes are going to use tugboats- and giant cables <laughs> to literally tow Reckless Island to Japan. So for the mountain of dumb shit in this movie, 
I feel like this movie actually kind of gets away with this part. Like, I'm, I'm not okay with the Japanophobia, but this kind of plan, this, like, wily Coyote kind of plan for a movie that wants to be a cartoon, it's so stupid, but- It's much, it's much like- more fitting than the rest of the movie. Yeah, this is actually yeah. this is the only part of the movie that actually kind of feels like a cartoon now. It, it, it suits like the setting and stuff of Glen Rowan as well. Like it has that look with Doug Burt. Like yeah, it just looks it looks and feels like that part of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Can we just wrap this up? We're in the final scene. Yeah, the last five minutes of the movie. Just we'll just get through it really quickly. Mm. Ned Kelly's relatives, Uncle Dan cousin Anthony Aykroyd, have been locked up in the basement. We don't actually see this. They get locked up in the basement by Hugo Weaving, but we don't actually see it happen off Off screen. screen. It is such, again, another bizarre decision. And they never showed us, like, at all, like, until now. They're just there. They're just locked up. They escape from the basement, and they take out Alexi Sale and his goons. Uh, We're having the big confrontation at the Glen Rowan pub. All of Ned Kelly's relatives climb on the roof of the hotel, and they start throwing beer cans at Alexi Sale Mm. and the bank goons. I'm I'm guessing this is an artistic nod to the compound scene in Crocodile Dundee (laughs) 2, where heavily armed drug dealers are overpowered by street thugs throwing rubbish bins. Well, Uh, copy from the best, Steve. A copy from the best, that's it. Ned uses his motorbike <laughs> to, to run into and sever the giant cable towing the islands. Yeah, mm. I guess there's some kind of a comment where Ned's obsessive about his guns and Robin convinces him not to use his gun for the final confrontation, I mm. guess. It's not, there's no real weight to it. It just kind of happens. It's a bit of a, oh, yeah, that's right. He threw away yeah. his guns. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's it's very much that happened then and she's been talking about it here. So it has to happen or this is going to happen there without without proper motivation, without any fun to it at all. That's the other thing. There's just no fun to that whatsoever. No, no meaning, just nothing, no, just nothing. No. Oh, anyway, the giant yeah. table that's towing the island, it gets destroyed. Hmm. Hugo weaving, oh, does it matter? He's buried underground by by yeah. falling debris yeah. caused by an explosion. I could go into it. Doesn't, I just don't want to. No. No, it's it's not a good climax either. It's 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 as rough as the rest of the movie is in terms of its editing and pacing. Oh, dear. And yay, celebration, the movie is over. Oh, man. We've really focused on some scenes, I I guess, down to like a a, a very- Minutia. A a minutia. We've skipped some scenes that possibly were worth mentioning. Oh, man. I- I I, th- I think I think the tiresome aspect of it too and the bit that makes it sort of just vaguely fascinating when you watch it is that it's not cheap. That's the thing no. that's slightly different about it. Like you've seen- It looks I've, cheap. Like Heaven Tonight, right, when we watched that, like it looked cheap. It was because it was really, really cheap. Like it was just a little yeah. Melbourne sort of thing. They didn't have good cameras. They didn't have good lighting. It was shot in the dark most of the place from what we could tell. This actually, this actually has a little bit of the Coca-Cola kid probably- the Coca-Cola kid is shot by a director that really knows how to put a scene together visually and it knows how a movie works, even though it was kind of baffling a little bit and a bit all over the place. It looks proper and it moves from one scene to the next. And this movie yeah. at, at five times the budget just doesn't. Like there's time, it just doesn't move from one to the next. And I, I'm inter- I was really – I tried to read about it. I was interested whether the studio had any real input on – I know, like you said, he had basically said, no, I get final cut and are in, in sole possession because this is a movie they could have done with the chop job, like to see exactly how you could get it down a little bit. But 
it's not a long movie anyway, so maybe there just wasn't and, the coverage was to be able to do that. Nine times out of ten, you really studio inter- interference is a bit of a dirty, yep. dirty word, dirty phrase. This movie needed a lot of studio interference. Yeah. Mate, why don't you give us the most Australian credit for this one, and then we'll start talking pool room. So, very easy decision here. Slightly off base. Um, you've mentioned it earlier in the thing, but it's uh, the most Australian credit is absolutely how to hypnotise chooks and other great yarns by Max Walker. <laughs> yes. So, for those that ever received a Christmas present between about like what nineteen eighty five and nineteen ninety five. Guaranteed. If you're over the age of 50. If you're over the age of 50 and or then had to read books at someone who you were staying with over the age of 50, Maxi Walker's books and, and the Chappelle books were everywhere. And I, I've read read most of them because I was a bit of a voracious reader when I was younger and wasn't that discerning. So I read everything. And yeah, Maxi Walker's books have, have come my way quite a bit. A genuine phenomenon who disappeared. Like Maxi Walker, he had a big media profile, a huge media profile, and then just Stepped away. Just didn't. So for those that are a bit younger than us, you'd be surprised to see just how big a profile Maxi Walker had. Bigger than like any of your, apart from, you know, the top echelon of uh, sort of footballers turned media stars. Maxi Walker would have had a bigger cult, a bigger profile at the time for those 10 years than any of them. He was on cricket. He was on other TV, did the sport. He, I think he did the weather at some stages. Like he was just a- He, he was yeah. everywhere. He, he was a one-man media machine. He was. He was footballer first. Yes. Then a cricketer. Yeah, hold off the wrong foot, Tasmanian. And then into commentary. Into commentary. Yeah, yeah. So he was never part of like the big four. You know, he was never part of the Richie, Bill, Chappelle and Tony Gregg, but he was always around the outskirts of them. And then he did a lot of work on Wide World of Sports or Channel 9 News and different stuff around, around the place. And I, the word avuncular was made for Maxi Walker. He was just, <laughs> I, I think he might have, he probably was for a good decade, the, he would have been, not that I ever saw him, the preeminent like footy club or cricket club after dinner speaker for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you'd been to one of them, I'm sure you'd heard the stories and never wanted to hear them again, but. He's just, just a unique phenomenon. And then just seeing him in this movie and remembering those books, I was like, yeah, that's definitely the most Australian thing in this movie. You know what? I'm going to make an admission. Tomorrow, I'm going to, at some point, I'm going to use the word avuncular. Mm. Don't Ma- know how. Going Maxi- to, I'm going to do it, though. Maxi Walker's so out of commission that he's so – they've gone past that moment now that his books don't even appear in, like, secondhand sort of remainder books anymore or in op shops anymore. Like that's how far past even that era we are that they don't appear in, in those ones. So. Did he, um, when did he die? Maxi Walker. Yeah. Ooh, God, when did he die? Uh, it, was about, it was about five, six years ago. It's a bit longer. 2016. So yeah, it was a little while ago. 2016, man, 2016. What a shit year. Yeah. So many, so many reasons that was a shit year, but you know, losing Maxi Walker is just another one. Yeah. Yeah, it was. He was only 68 too, so. Okay. Oh, Maxie, we still love you. Hmm. So this is where you turn around and, and surprise us, mate, by telling us why this film goes to the forum. <laughs> yeah, no, not close. Uh, it's sitting, <laughs> it's sitting, it's sitting way out the back under the. I'm digging a hole in the backyard for <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, and it's like absolutely no pleasure in in not finding uh, much enjoyment in this movie. I'll give it that it made me the the we're sending a fax made me laugh, and the other one that made me laugh just because I didn't say it at the time was when Yahoo Serious turns up with all the paperwork to. You go weaving to, to battle in this is like they keep panning back and the paperwork is just like the entire giant office of Hugo Weaving becomes like <laughs> manila, manila folders basically like stacked to the ceiling and that was like a good little bit of stagecraft I thought but 
Otherwise, it was a genuine slog. When I first watched this movie again, I took a hearty nap after he got to America and woke up and sort of hadn't realized that I'd missed the movie. Like I thought I was still watching and then I was like, That's the best way to see it. And then I had to, I rewatched it obviously and then realized it was a good 35 minutes where I was sound asleep. So um, that's the best way to watch it, it. I think it did have that effect on me. And like I said, take no pleasure and couldn't make a movie to save my life, but just a really interesting failure in all levels, really. You? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's not down mm. to the poor room at all. Uh, I, I struggled to finish it. Yeah. All yeah. I it's it's that thank- kind of movie. It's a, it's a yeah. struggle to finish kind of movie. Yeah. Uh, it's a thank God that it's only 80 minutes yeah. long. This movie is for lack of a better word, it's sloppy. Mm. The ideas and the themes and the influences mm. that Yahoo wants to explore in the movie, they actually aren't that bad, but he doesn't seem to, he just doesn't take the time to re- refine them or mm. develop them into something that goes beyond the bleedingly obvious. And I doubt that this movie is really trying to go for like an irreverent tone. Yeah, um, it's not, it's not trying it, to be subtle, but that doesn't no, mean that it's good. No, no. Yeah. But it seems to think that that's just enough to keep the entire movie afloat, and, and yep. it's not. You just you shouldn't mistake irreverence for just plain sloppiness, and yep. this movie is just sloppy. And and yeah, if you like this movie or you've got some kind of nostalgia for it, like no judgments from me. Your your opinion is just as valid as mine. Yep. I, the truth of the matter is, I actually, kind of mourn the fact that these movies don't get made anymore. I did not care for this movie at all, hmm. but I miss the days where someone like Yahoo Serious could be given $20 million to go and make a movie and he could just go and make it. Like that that just does not happen anymore. It has a, so, it has a lot more ambition, let's put it this way, than pretty much all of the comedies made between, you know, 2000 and 2010 in Australia, which was a bit of a, a bit of an idea. And, and it, it at oh. least it tries a lot harder than all of them. 10 out of 10 for ambition, but yeah. 1 out of 10 for execution. It's it's the sort of movie that I would imagine when Warner Brothers got it might have gone close to not being released. Like, it might have been that sort of level of like, hmm, well, I'm, Warner not, Brothers, I'm not uh, sure. Warner Brothers are shelving movies left and right nowadays. So, yeah, I'm, I can imagine this is getting done to lock and key for, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, that's sort of wrap All up right. our episode mm. of Reckless Telly. So, apologies, obviously. <laughs> I did not expect the movie to be... I did not... I 100% did not expect the movie to be that hard to watch. That is one thing I did not expect. So, I think next... You know, the next 10, maybe I'll go a little bit more down the line to movies that I at least are aware are watchable, maybe. Well, well uh, our next that's... episode, our next episode, we are bouncing back in a big way. We're going to be talking about Baz Luhrmann's... Mm. debut film 1992 Strictly Ballroom which I'm really looking forward to I yeah, gotta yeah. say um, yeah, at the very it, least we know that one's uh, a crowd pleaser yeah I just want to talk about a good film <laughs> mate it is always a pleasure talking about films with you my friend yeah thanks David for uh, putting up with me on this one and I look forward to the next one no worries mate okay we'll wrap that up and we will see you for our next episode on Strictly Ballroom see you later see you then, see ya Wow.